guest today is Nigel Van Wyck, an English painter who moved to New York in his early 30s. He still lives there now, and you can see his love of the States in his work, which often features New York City scenes and other American culture. One of the first paintings of yours that I saw was that picture of a woman sat on the Q train in New York. Um, and I think the reason I saw it was because it did go viral a couple of years ago. Um, to the extent that there are photos of people who've seen your painting and then gone onto the Q train and taken pictures, sat in the same sort of position, tried to recreate that painting in a photo. Um, and I wanted you to tell me a little bit about um, what it's like to see something when you do so many works, what it's like to see one of them suddenly get so much more attention than some in the past have, and how you feel about people uh, making their own versions of it in that way. Um, it was extraordinary. I mean, it was something that I did not expect. But and 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 the the thing about that image was that it lay dormant for a long time. Um, it it was a picture that uh, uh, originally was not on a subway. The girl was in a bar with another girl and a guy in a, in a white suit. And I didn't like the composition. And it was, the original was a pastel, oil pastel. So I scraped everything off of the paper except for the girl. And she just sat on the paper uh, for three months, pinned on my wall in the studio. And then one day I walked in and I said, um, ah, a subway. So I drew a subway in and that was the picture. Uh, I gave it to my dealer in New York and he had it for a year and he said he couldn't sell it. Uh, so he gave it back to me. Uh, I then gave it to my dealer in Palm Beach who put it in the window of his gallery and he could not sell it. And then a year later, a woman walked in and said, I was in Palm Beach to bury my mother and there was this image of a girl on a subway train in the window and it's haunted me, do you still have it? And she bought the original. And uh, then when social media started, I put it up on Tumblr and um, uh, a Japanese blogger picked up on it and that's when it went viral. And so it's, it's a picture that was a surprise to me because I had tried to sell it through two dealers and had not been able to. And now everybody wants that picture. And so it's extraordinary. And also just the way it's affected people. I get wonderful emails and letters um, from uh, uh, girls that identify with it. And uh, it's extraordinary to me. Uh, I then, because of the success of the uh, uh, the Japanese blogger, I then uh, um, I then had to do. So many people were asking me for uh, prints of the picture, and I only had a really bad thirty-five mil slide. So I did a painting of the picture, which then my gallery in, in New York sold. And from that, I did a silk screen, uh, a limited edition silk screen, which is also done incredibly well. And it, there are many, many posters of it. I mean, it, it's just extraordinary. Um, does that painting still um, 
hold an important space in your heart or is that something that you're sort of you know sort of sick of sick of the sight of for want of a better phrase no i i i i will always have a soft spot for that painting because it's sort of established me on the internet in a way and and uh, it's given me a recognition worldwide because of that painting i mean it's it's been used in book covers it's been used uh, it's influenced television shows it's influenced movies um, I see people giving talks with the picture behind it. Um, just yesterday, uh, there was uh, a medical journal that came out and they were using the image uh, for their page. So it's, I, I still love it. <laughs> you mentioned there that it's been repurposed, that painting has been repurposed and used for things like book covers. Um, and I find it interesting how as recently as 50 years ago, a painting would be in a gallery or on someone's wall at home. But other than that, it wouldn't have many other purposes. But now like I had one of your paintings as my desktop background on my computer for a little while. And is that something that you're bothered by? Something that it can be used in a much more casual sense than being thought about when looked at in a gallery. I can just stick it on my phone or whatever. And it's, how does that make you feel as an artist? Does it feel like you're um, having your work taken as seriously as it should be? Well, it makes me feel really, really good. Because I think the more people that are into my images, the better, uh, the, the, the happier I feel. Um, when it... <laughs> When it comes to whether it's diminishing art, I don't think it is diminishing art. I think that uh, images should be used any way that they, they can be used. And how about the way people react to your images? Because I read a little piece uh, someone else had written about you online, and they said that your, your themes include uh, gender and voyeurism and a couple of other things. And I sort of read that, and I thought, is that right? Is that something that you're putting in there I've you know I've, I've read that you talk about isolation being a key theme in your work but those things I mentioned just then I'm not sure are that visible there um do you think what is it like to have your work put into words like that by by a reviewer well I I, I, I think all artists are voyeurs in, in 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 some way I mean you're looking and then you're you're making a creation from what you've seen um and uh, I, my work is very much observational. I mean, I'm, I'm painting uh, a, uh, a scene where you're watching, and I paint the scene so it's open-ended. Um, I, I, I don't like crossing T's and dotting I's, so that I, I want you to be able to interpret the ending. Um, there's a, a. I heard an interview once uh, with Merce Cunningham, and um, the interviewer said, "I just saw your dance." And then when we came out of the theater, I listened to what people were saying, and I got four different explanations for the dance. Which one was the real explanation? And he said all of them. And I think that's how I see my work. I paint it and the way that you interpret it is up to you. 
you've said in in other interviews that isolation is a really important theme for you in your work which I see as being quite a personal experience the way that you think about that um, and I wanted to know why it is that you don't feature yourself in your work there's you don't do self-portraits or feature your own person in the uh, paintings is there a reason for that um well because I'm the one that's doing the painting but I when I um when I look at a lot of the images, um, like the first lifeguard picture that I did, uh, uh, which was the Miami lifeguard picture, my dealer looked at it and said, oh, it's you. Um, so I think that occasionally you end up painting yourself in the picture. Uh, but I don't consciously do that. I just paint what I want to paint. I interviewed uh, a musician on the most recent episode of my podcast and I had found that um, it, to my ear they sounded very much like another artist that I liked like almost as if that was uh, an obsession they had and when I, I said to this musician I said is that something that you're consciously doing you're you know it's, I can really hear your the influence of that artist in your work and she said that she hadn't actually heard of that artist and it was just purely coincidental um, and that made me want to ask other people, other artists and makers, um, what's it like having someone else's influence pegged to your work? Um, is, it, is it a compliment to have something like that? Or is it something that you feel you're being put in a box? How do you respond to comparisons like that? I think those com comparisons are inevitable. They're going to happen. And I don't mind them if they're intelligent. Um, if, but... Some of them are just so ridiculous. Uh, I, I just have to bite my tongue. Um, I'll give you an example. I think that the greatest pose in Western art is Ang's Odalesque. Um, and Ang is a 19th century uh, Orientalist French painter. And I did a, um, I had a model come into the studio and uh, I thought, oh, I'll put her in the Ang pose. So I put her in the Ang pose and I did a painting and she was really good. She owned the pose. And, and when I did the painting, I thought, oh, I'll put her in a swimming pool and I'll put tiles around it, making references to Oriental 19th century painting. When I posted it, people were saying it's just like a hopper. Um, that's a stupid remark because it, it's nothing like a, a hopper. So that kind of thing drives me crazy. When people make intelligent comparisons um, like to hopper, um, I don't mind. I take it as a compliment. I mean, to be compared to hopper is a great compliment. I mean, he's a great painter. What do you think makes people say things like that? Where do they, are they just seeing something in your painting that um, isn't there or is it like a, a need to find a reference to something they've seen before in it? I, I suspect that a lot of people are making the references because somebody else has made the reference. Um, but um, when, I, when I went back to painting, I, because I w was a kinetic sculptor working in light, my obsession has always been painting light. And Hopper's obsession is painting light. He's, one of his quotes is, all I want to do is to paint sunlight on a wall. Um, so it's very easy for people to make a comparison because not only, I mean, there are 
We both lived in New York. We both painted in New York. We both paint light, and he has a his solitude, and I have my solitude. But that part of it is very different, because his is sort of miserable and dour, and, and mine uh, is contentment. But I think that's why people make the comparisons with Hopper. Earlier in your career, when you first went to art school, you did you started as a painter, but you mentioned there you by the time you finished, you were doing uh, neon and kinetic works. It really you know the, your experience in art school changed the medium you were using, um, and that happened in the '60s, which is a period that in nearly every medium is really romanticised as this like really free, uh, open and transformative spell in our history. And I thought it might be interesting, as you literally went through art school in that spell, do you look back and see that as, as romantically as, as other mediums might? Is that something where you think the 60s was like a huge key part of my life? Or is it just, you think media has painted it in that way? The 60s were the best. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just, just to live in that decade was extraordinary. And I was extremely lucky because I lived on the King's Road in the 60s. Um, the the reason that I ended up becoming a kinetic sculptor was because uh, I was at art school when the student revolution was on and all the faculty that I went to study under were fired. And uh, the only people that were interesting were, people, were a group that had been thrown out of the Royal College and they ended up at Hornsey where I was. And they were working in neon, and I was a young kid, and they were the only ones that had en energy, so I was attracted to it. In retrospect, I'm really glad I had that period, because besides what you're talking about, sort of the freedom in art, it taught me about light, and I understand light, and that's the glue to my work today. So there are traces of things that you learn when you were studying still in your work nowadays? Yeah, I mean, the way that light falls on things and, you know, and, and um, the thing about um, how light changes when a coloured light hits another colour and things like that. It's second nature to me when I paint. Your paintings, for the most part, feature like visibly American imagery. Do you find that that's something that you will never want to stray from? And I, I wanted to really to know, as you grew up in England, do you think you could find the same magic and the same engagement from doing paintings of like English scenes in a similar way? I, I, I don't think so. I mean, obviously, one paints wherever one is and, and, and paints what's in front of them. But the, the, the key thing for me was that... I, I left college as a kinetic artist and I was a kinetic artist for 10 years. And when I decided to go back to painting, it was in 1978, I think. And I moved to New York in 79. And I was, it was the perfect time to move because I had just gone back to painting. I didn't really know what I wanted to paint. 
And I came to New York and I saw American realism and realized that's what I wanted to paint. So I, I've always been in love with the images of America and I, that's what I really like painting. I mean, I do, my wife's Peruvian and when we go to Peru, I, you know, I paint in Peru and I like those pictures, but the bulk of my work will always be American. I consider myself an American realist. Do you think that if you never made the move to New York that you'd have stuck with painting at all or is it just something that um, was incidental? I would have been a painter, but I have no idea what I would have been painting. The, 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 one of the things that is important to me and I'm told by uh, uh, other people is that I have a, a wonderful colour sense. And the thing about the English is that they tend to go to the browns and the greys. Um, there aren't many really colourful English painters. So I, I don't know what I would have done if I had stayed there. <laughs> and somebody, once, somebody once explained to me that it was all to do with camouflage. You know, that the, the, if, if you live in the tropics, then you put on bright colours because bright colours that are around you. And in, in uh, England, which is sort of grey and green, it's all tweeds and, and browns. I'm reading a book at the moment about the London painters from just after the war, with people like Francis Bacon and Lucien Freud. And uh, um, the, I'm reading a part, the chapter I'm on at the moment is about Bacon and about he said something I thought was quite interesting about he really wished that he was part of like a, a scene isn't right he i think yeah he said he would he wished he was part of a movement where he could meet up with like-minded artists but he felt like he was out there on his own um do you think you're part of something bigger than your own work or do you feel like you're doing your own thing how does your uh career work in that way i i um i sort of uh turned my uh, my back on the art world a long time ago and just decided that I was going to paint what I wanted to paint. So I, I'm very sympathetic to what Bacon is saying. Um, I'm, I'm a traditional painter, but I paint very much my time, but it's not what other people are painting. Just going to Bacon and Freud, there's an interest there because... Freud, I think Freud is an extraordinary painter, but he was a terrible colorist. And what I, uh, elevates Bacon is, I think, his color. He's one of the few English painters that really did use color. I see in your work a lot of a cinematic quality, very uh, atmospheric, and the way things are framed sort of remind me of a lot of films. And I was wondering if you if that's like a conscious thing, do you watch a film and find that you want to recreate the atmosphere of that in your work? How do other mediums impact your paintings? Um, not, not really. I mean, occasionally I'll be watching a movie and think, oh, that's, that's an interesting idea. I, I'll play around with that in a composition. But um, I, I don't... Um, I don't seek inspiration elsewhere. It's, um, uh, I mean, I've, I've always thought inspiration is for amateurs. And it's, it's 
basically what I do is I go into the studio in the morning and I paint whatever I feel like painting. And, and when I don't feel like painting, that, when the energy is no longer on that canvas, then I put it down and I'll, I'll start something else. So I usually have like, I don't know, somewhere between five or ten paintings propped up against the wall and I'm working on all of them at the same time. I, I've, I've never been a strong uh, supporter of messages. I mean, obviously, all art has meaning, but it, I have found that if I try to think about that and concentrate on that, it becomes clunky and awkward. And um, so I just let what I have to say just happen. And, and I'm really involved just in formal uh, problems like composition, light, you know, and the, the kind of paint that I want to use. Um, when I was at art school, I was a lot younger and a, a lot more sort of, uh, I suppose, ambitious about being successful in the art world. And as everybody is, you know, everybody dreams of being the David Hockney or whatever. Um, none of that applies to me today. I'm just interested in painting what I want to paint and I don't particularly care what other people think. But then I did, and I think, you know, we all did uh, at that age. But we were very political. I mean, I was in the student union and, uh, you know, we were demonstrating. Uh, we thought we had a voice. But, you know, one of the things that was really interesting to me about that period, was that uh, in in England the uh, student revolution was basically about um, educational reform as opposed to a political message which was going on in France and or the war in 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 uh, in the United States and they demand we demanded at that time that we had. Um, representation on the governor's board, on all the committees and everything, and all those things were worked out and put into place. And this was in the 60s. In the 70s, I went back and taught at Hornsey for two years. And the, the great revelation was for me was that all the students then had no interest in, in on being on the uh, governor's board or the committees or whatever. All they wanted was studio time. And I suddenly occurred to me that all these people that had lost their education or their jobs for a principle that the next generation had no interest in whatsoever, it taught me a lesson. It's quite cynical, isn't it? I mean, the fact that you said you thought you had a voice rather than you made sure that you did have a voice. That says quite a lot in itself, doesn't it? Yes. You don't feel that uh, people that you were involved with made much of a difference then? Not really, no. It, it didn't. It's the you know the 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 organisation survived and and all the gains that had been fought for. The next generation had no interest in, so you know they withered and they Do disappeared. Do you think there's art out there that's happening at the moment, especially uh, in big cities like New York, that does and you know does make a difference and has got the power to uh, change the way things work politically, or is it all just? Uh, people in their youth being naive about how powerful these things are? 
I think art is, is, is in a really interesting place because it really has gone worldwide. I mean, it's trans-global now. And I think the, the internet uh, is, in a way, the new dealer. Um, I, I, there's a, um, a wonderful book by uh, Ross Hunter called um, Judgment of Paris. And it's about uh, Paris in 1875 and the beginning of French Impressionism. And he says that, you know, French Impressionism was a reaction against the academy, which was the status quo. And he argues, and I think it's a good uh, point, that one of the reasons that French Impressionism was successful was because at the same time, it was the birth of the dealer. And the dealer was the one that, that championed the new art and gave it to the new collectors. And from my eye, um, the art dealer is now the status quo. It's the establishment. And I always wondered if art was going to change, what would change it? And I think that the internet and social media uh, is the new dealer. And it's, as with Q-Train, I think it's making a big difference. Having worked as an artist under both of those systems, do you have one that you prefer? Um, well, I'm a traditional painter, so I appreciate a lot of the ideas of traditional dealers and 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 uh, the way they show and collect art I, I what i liked about that time is that it was about connoisseurship um today art has become a commodity and it's about money and it's whether a picture is or a work of art is good or bad is not determined on, on, on the aesthetics of the piece. It's determined on how much it will sell at auction. Um, and I noticed that's true in movies. When I was a kid, uh, movies were judged by good reviews. Today they're judged by box office. So we've gone into this sort of monetary system which I sort of do not like. And I think that a way of freeing that is the internet, is social media, because they're more interested in what it's saying rather than what it's worth. Nigel, uh, what would you like to offer up as your Who's Flying the Plane hidden gem? I have two, and one is well known and the other is sort of not known. My first would be Winslow Homer who I think is an extraordinary American painter and um, is the equivalent of Titian Velasquez, whatever. I mean, I just think he's an extraordinary painter. Uh, the other one is um, a painter called Archibald Motley, who was practically unknown. And when I, um, I did dance pictures about 20 years ago, I did a whole series on dance, and I discovered Motley then, and he was a black artist that, I think he was the first black artist that was um, uh, accepted by the Institute of Art in Chicago. And I, I'm, I'm guessing it was the 20s, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But his pictures 
were absolutely wonderful and nobody knew about him and I found a book uh, on him and I was just mesmerized by his work. And then about three years ago, three, four years ago, the Whitney did a show of, of his work and it was the first time I was able to see them for real. And they really are wonderful pictures. And I was wandering through the Met the other day downstairs in the basement where the contemporary American paintings are. And lo and behold, they had a motley on the wall. So he's now beginning to be recognized, but he is a wonderful black painter from the uh, middle part of, uh, of the century. Thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me today, Nigel. Okay, okay. It was great talking to you, Alex.